0: Not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's join com.
1: Preface to the second edition and chapter one of the Peterkin Papers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Peterkin Papers by Lucretia P. Hale. Preface to the Second Edition. The first of these stories was accepted by Mr. Howard M. Tickner for the young folks. They were afterwards continued in Numbers of the St. Nicholas. A second edition is now printed, containing a new paper, which has never been before published, The Peterkins at the Farm. It may be remembered that the Peterkins originally hesitated about publishing their family papers, and were decided, by referring the matter, to the lady from Philadelphia. A little uncertain of whether she might happen to be at Philadelphia, they determined to write and ask her. Solomon John suggested a postal card. Everybody reads a postal, and everybody would read it as it came along and see its importance and help it on. If the lady from Philadelphia were away, her family and all of her servants would read it and send it after her for an answer. Elizabeth Eliza thought the postal a bright idea. It would not take so long to write as a letter, and would not be so expensive. But could they get the whole subject on a postal? Mr. Peterkin believed there could be no difficulty. There was but one question—shall the adventures of the Peterkin family be published? This was decided upon, and there was room for each of the family to sign, the little boys contenting themselves with the rough sketches of their india-rubber boots. Mr. Peterkin, Agamemnon, and Solomon John took the postal card to the post-office early one morning and by the afternoon of that very day and all the next day and for many days came streaming in answers on postals and on letters their card had been addressed to the lady from philadelphia with the number of her street but it must have been read by their neighbours in their own town post-office before leaving and it must have been read along its way for by each mail came piles of postals and letters from town after town in answer to the question and all in the same tone Yes, yes, publish the adventures of the Peterkin family. Publish them, of course. And in time came the answer of the lady from Philadelphia. Yes, of course, publish them. This is why they were published. The Peterkin Papers by Lucretia P. Hale Dedicated to Meggie, the daughter of the lady from Philadelphia, to whom these stories were first told. CHAPTER One. THE LADY WHO PUT SALT IN HER COFFEE This was Mrs. Peterkin. It was a mistake. She had poured out a delicious cup of coffee, and just as she was helping herself to cream, she found she had put in salt instead of sugar. It tasted bad. What should she do? Of course she couldn't drink the coffee, so she called in the family, for she was sitting at a late breakfast all alone. The family came in, they all tasted, and looked, and wondered what should be done, and all sat down to think. At last Agamemnon, who had been to college, said,—'Why don't we go over and ask the advice of the chemist?' For the chemist lived over the way, and was a very wise man. Mrs. Peterkin said,—'Yes,' and Mr. Peterkin said,—'Very well,' and all the children said they would go, too. So the little boys put on their india-rubber boots, and over they went. Now the chemist was just trying to find out something which would turn everything it touched into gold, and he had a large glass bottle into which he put all kinds of gold and silver, and many other valuable things, and melted them all up over the fire, till he had almost found what he wanted. He could turn things into almost gold. But just now he had used up all the gold that he had round the house, and gold was high. He had used up his wife's gold thimble, and his great-grandfather's gold-bowed spectacles, and he had melted up the gold head of his great-great-grandfather's cane. And just as the Peterkin family came in, he was down on his knees before his wife, asking her to let him have her wedding-ring to melt up with the rest, because this time he knew he could succeed, and should be able to turn everything into gold and then she could have a new wedding-ring of diamonds, all set in emeralds and rubies and topazes, and all the furniture could be turned into the finest of gold. Now his wife was just consenting when the Peterkin family burst in. You can imagine how mad the chemist was. He came near throwing his crucible—that was the name of his melting-pot—at their heads. But he didn't. He listened as calmly as he could to the story of how Mrs. Peterkin had put salt in her coffee. At first he said he couldn't do anything about it. But when Agamemnon said they would pay in gold if he would only go, he packed up his bottles in a leather case, and went back with them all. First he looked at the coffee, and then stirred it. Then he put in a little chlorate of potassium, and the family tried it all around. But it tasted no better. Then he stirred in a little bichlorate of magnesia. But Mrs. Peterkin didn't like that. Then he added some tartaric acid and some hypersulphate of lime. But no, it was no better. I have it! exclaimed the chemist. A little ammonia is just the thing. No, it wasn't the thing at all. Then he tried, each in turn, some oxalic, cyanic, acetic, phosphoric, chloric, hyperchloric, sulfuric, boracic, silicic, nitric, formic, nitrous, nitric and carbonic acids. Mrs. Peterkin tasted each and said the flavor was pleasant but not precisely that of coffee so then he tried a little calcium, aluminum, barium and strontium, a little clear bitumen and a half of a third of a sixteenth of a grain of arsenic. This gave rather a pretty colour, but still Mrs. Peterkin ungratefully said that it tasted of anything but coffee. The chemist was not discouraged. He put in a little belladonna and atropine, some granulated hydrogen, some potash, and a very little antimony, finishing off with a little pure carbon. But still Mrs. Peterkin was not satisfied. The chemist said that all he had done ought to have taken out the salt. The theory remained the same, although the experiment had failed. Perhaps a little starch would have some effect. If not, that was all the time he could give. He should like to be paid, and go. They were all much obliged to him, and willing to give him one dollar and thirty-seven cents and one half in gold gold was now two dollars and sixty-nine cents and three-fourths, so Mr. Peterkin found in the newspaper. This gave Agamemnon a pretty little sum. He sat himself down to do it. But there was the coffee. All sat and thought a while, till Elizabeth Eliza said,—'Why don't we go down to the herb-woman?' Elizabeth Eliza was the only daughter. She was named after her two aunts—Elizabeth—from the sister of her father. Eliza, from her mother's sister. Now the herb-woman was an old woman who came round to sell herbs, and knew a great deal. They all shouted with joy at the idea of asking her, and Solomon John and the younger children agreed to go and find her too. The herb-woman lived down at the very end of the street, so the boys put on their India-rubber boots again, and they set off. It was a long walk through the village, but they came at last to the herb-woman's house, at the foot of a high hill. They went through her little garden. Here she had marigolds and hollyhocks and old maids and tall sunflowers and all kinds of sweet-smelling herbs, so that the air was full of tansy tea and elder blow. Over the porch grew a hop-vine, and a brandy-cherry tree shaded the door, and a luxuriant cranberry vine flung its delicious fruit across the window. They went into a small parlor, which smelled very spicy. All around hung little bags full of catnip and peppermint and all kinds of herbs, and dried stalks hung from the ceiling, and on the shelves were jars of rhubarb, senna, manna, and the like. But there was no little old woman. She had gone up into the woods to get some more wild herbs. So they all thought they would follow her—Elizabeth, Eliza, Solomon, John, and the little boys. They had to climb up over the high rocks, and in among the huckleberry bushes and blackberry vines. But the little boys had their india-rubber boots. At last they discovered the little old woman. They knew her by her hat. It was steeple-crowned without any vein. They saw her digging with her trowel round a sassafras bush. They told her their story, how their mother had put salt in her coffee, and how the chemist had made it worse instead of better and how could their mother drink it, and wouldn't she come and see what she could do?" And she said she would, and took up her little apron, with pockets all around, and filled with everlasting and pennyroyal, and went back to her house. There she stopped, and stuffed her huge pockets with some of all the kinds of herbs. She took some tansy and peppermint, and caraway seed and dill, spearmint and cloves, Pennyroyal and sweet marjoram, basil and rosemary, wild thyme and some of the other thyme, some as you have in clocks, sappermint and oppermint, catnip, valerian and hop. Indeed, there isn't a kind of herb you can think of that the little old woman didn't have done up in her little paper bags that had been all dried in her little Dutch oven. She packed these all up and went back with the children, taking her stick. Meanwhile Mrs. Peterkin was getting quite impatient for her coffee. As soon as the little old woman came, she had it set over the fire, and began to stir in different herbs. First she put in a little hop for the bitter. Mrs. Peterkin said it tasted like hop tea, and not at all like coffee. Then she tried a little flag-root, and snake-root, then some spruce gum, and some caraway, and some dill, some rue, and rosemary— some sweet marjoram, and sour, some oppermint and sappermint, a little spearmint and peppermint, some wild thyme, and some of the other tame thyme, some tansy and basil, and catnip and valerian and sassafras, ginger and pennyroyal. The children tasted after each mixture, but made up dreadful faces. Mrs. Peterkin tasted, and did the same. The more the old woman stirred, and the more she put in, The worse it all seemed to taste. So the old woman shook her head, and muttered a few words, and said she must go. She believed the coffee was bewitched. She bundled up her packet of herbs, and took her trowel, and her basket, and her stick, and went back to her root of sassafras, that she had left half in air and half out, and all she would take for pay was five cents in currency. Then the family were in despair, and all sat and thought a great while. It was growing late in the day, and Mrs. Peterkin hadn't had her cup of coffee. At last Elizabeth Eliza said, They say that the lady from Philadelphia, who is staying in town, is very wise. Suppose I go and ask her what is best to be done. To this they all agreed. It was a great thought, and off Elizabeth Eliza went. She told the lady from Philadelphia the whole story—how her mother had put salt in the coffee, how the chemist had been called in, how he tried everything, but could make it no better, and how they went for the little old herb-woman, and how she had tried in vain, for her mother couldn't drink the coffee. The lady from Philadelphia listened very attentively, and then said, "'Why doesn't your mother make a fresh cup of coffee?' Elizabeth Eliza started with surprise. Solomon John shouted for joy. So did Agamemnon, who had just finished his sum. So did the little boys who had followed on. Why didn't we think of that? said Elizabeth Eliza, and they all went back to their mother, and she had her cup of coffee. Chapter One